Hello, my friends, and welcome to Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary for this week's Monday Moment. We create these to help start your week on fire with a quick burst of inspiration. International best-selling author, playwright, musician, radio host, television personality, rabid sports fan, and husband. But for all of those titles, I think the role Mitch Album plays as a humanitarian will define how we feel about him today and his impact once he's gone. Mitch Album, we've had you on the show before, but we wanted to bring you back. Welcome back to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thank you, John, so much. And hopefully I won't be gone anytime soon. We're expecting a lot more work and impact from you going forward. But all the books that you write, as I see it, are about relationships. So Maury, your coach, Eddie, Posey, Albert Lewis, all about relationships. Finding Chica might be about the most profound and important relationship that you discovered in your life. Talk briefly about the title, Finding Chica. Chica was a young orphan born three days before the earthquake in Haiti. And the third day of her life, the earth shook, her house crumbled. Somehow she amazingly survived and uh, lived out in the sugarcane fields from that point uh, for the next six weeks or so. So she was literally born into the soil of her homeland and born pretty tough. She came to us when she was three years old. To our, For the next couple of years, she was... Uh, <laughs> She was bold and brash and loud, bossy, and she told all the other kids when they could eat and when they could go to the bathroom and all that kind of stuff. You help lead an orphanage. You love kids in Haiti and beyond. What was it about Chica that attracted you first to her? Well, I interview all the potential kids, and it's the hardest thing I do in my life because for every one we can say yes to, I have to say no to 10. And, uh, you know, so the interview process with whoever brings them in is, is always very important. And she came in, I remember, uh, with her godmother. Her mother had died and there was nobody to take care of her. Her godmother brought her in. And most kids, when they come in, <clears throat> they, they get very shy. They, they rarely look me in the eye because it's a strange environment. And yet mm-hmm. she sat there the whole time with her arms crossed and looking at me. And after about 10 minutes, you could tell she was bored. And uh, <laughs> she basically was looking at me like, are we done here now? And so I, I stuck my tongue out at her, you know, because I could see she was kind of looking at me and she stuck her tongue out back. And then I laughed and then she laughed. And I remember thinking, well, this one is very brave and very bold. And I, I didn't know how brave she would need to be, but it turned out uh, that would serve her very well uh, in the course of her brief life. You write about her laugh and you write about her smile. Describe her smile for me. <laughs> well, you know, we went through those years where her smile went from a bunch of baby teeth to no teeth to a bunch of uh, grown teeth. And she, I never saw anybody enjoy laughing more than she did. I mean, she, she didn't just laugh, she howled. Uh, and she would, she would, she would, uh, and her favorite thing, and, you know, this kind of answer to your first question, why did I call the book Finding Tika? So her favorite thing to do when you came home was hide, mm. like pretend that you couldn't find her. So she would grab anything, a blanket, a cushion, anything, if she heard you come in the door, just so that you would discover her. And uh, so I'd have to walk in, and of course, you know, I knew what was going on, so I'd go, <laughs> where is Chica? Where is Chica? Where is Chica? And until you sounded, you know, she wouldn't make any noise until you sounded desperate. Finally said, I don't know where she is, where is she? And, and she would pop up, she'd throw the blanket off, and she'd say in her butchered English, 
there is he, you know, like that. And, <laughs> you know, it took her forever to learn there she is or here I am. Yes. And uh, it was just delightful the way she loved to be found. And, and you know, I thought, John, that this was just sort of, um, you know, a cute thing she did. But then one night, my wife and I were leaning over her, putting her to bed, and she said to us, how did you find me? Mm. And I said, what do you mean? She said, how did you find me? I said, you mean, how did you come to us? And she said, yeah, but I think she kind of meant it more the way she said it, because I realized for her and many of our orphans, you know, they don't, um, they don't remember, you know, anything before us, but they know there was something before us. So, you know, it was kind of like being found like, uh, in a forest or something. And so in fact, we, some of our kids sadly were left to die in forests and we, we, you know, they were found by a stranger and picked up and brought to us. So I never forgot that. And I thought, well, that's kind of what discovering who she was and what a family is was like. And so I called the book Finding Chica. Mm. Man, you, you write about family beautifully in that book. You and Janine had a life, a, a very familiar life, one that you <laughs> became uh, you know, two and a half decades, I think, familiar. Just the two of you doing life together. What is it like, Mitch, going from two to three? It's all the change in the world. Uh, I mean, we were in our late 50s, my wife and I. We'd been together for 30 plus years. We had tried to have kids, but it didn't happen for us. And yes, you know, I have 52 orphans that uh, I'm there every month in Haiti for the last 10 years. But there's a difference between, you know, going down for a week or having somebody at the foot of your bed every night uh, when you're in your mid late fifties and having to do, you know, that whole waking up at night, got to go to the bathroom. Oops, she threw up. Oh, she wants to pick out a red sock. No, the green sock. No, the blue sock. No, the white sock. Uh, you know, watching her eat breakfast. It took an hour. You know, <laughs> she'd like to look out the window and yell at the squirrels, you know, and, uh, so your whole life has to change and it's kind of late in life for your life to change. And yet the change we did and, and without any hesitation, I mean, uh, and add to that this terrible shadow of how much time does she have left to live? Uh, you know, when the doctors told us she had four months and we, they suggested we take her back to Haiti and just let her die quietly, let her play with her friends and die. But because I knew her background and I knew how tough she was just from birth, I said, no, Chica is a fighter. And if she's going to fight, we're going to fight. And we pursued everything, anything and everything. And, and so she lived for nearly two years, which is almost unheard of with DIPG. Uh, and she fought, uh, but yet we always had that shadow behind us. Even when you're having fun or a good time, or you're playing in the snow or whatever, there's always that thing like, you know, well, what, what if, you know, the tumor rears its head? What if it, it comes back stronger as we know it was eventually going to do? So it really made parenting intensified, you know, like it was get, you know, you're supposed to get everything out every minute, but this was like, no, you better get everything out of every minute. You don't know how many minutes you have. And it was a very intense experience. Well, in one of those minutes, you decide to take this beautiful girl to Disney. Yeah. I, I want you to talk about what turned her on most about Disney. Well, it's one of the things that, you know, I kind of constructed the book, which I tried very hard not to write a sad book, but I knew people would say, oh, I don't want to read about a a child who died. So right from the very first page, you already know what happened with her. And she's back talking to me, uh, which she does with to me all the time. Every time I'm down in my office where she used to sit by my feet and crayon and play with dolls. Every time I go sit there, I look down and I kind of close my eyes and there she is. And 
we have some conversations. And so I wrote the book like that. So there's no horror to it. And at one point, you know, she says, did I ever teach you anything? And I said, you taught me a lot of things. And she insists that I tell her all the things that, uh, you know, right away. And so I list seven of them uh, because she lived seven years. And I thought, well, here's seven things that I learned from her that maybe someone else will get something out of too. And one of those was a sense of wonder, you know, which, you know, you lose as you get older, let's face it. We, we're just not as fascinated by things, you know, we, we don't, we're, we don't think a caterpillar is worth, you know, getting our clothes dirty for. We don't think a snowfall is worth like going crazy over, uh, but she did. Mm. And when we went to Disneyland, <laughs> we walked in and I'm thinking, okay, you know, here's this little kid from Haiti, never been to a place like this, going to see these brides. Which one is she going to go? Can we do that one? Can we do that one? <laughs> And we walked down Main Street. And we went into that big center area where you can see everything. So there's Magic Mountain is to the right and Space Mountain, whatever they call it, Sleeping Beauty Castle and all these amazing, you know, high-tech things right in front of her. And at that very moment, a duck came out of a pond that was nearby and started walking across the way. And she saw she goes, look, a duck! <laughs> and she ran. You know, chasing them for like 10 minutes. She was chasing the duck. And I said to my wife, Denise, look at that. Space Mountain, Cinderella <laughs> Castle. Disney could have saved a lot of money by just putting more ducks in this park, you know? And uh, I love that about her, you know? Like, she didn't care about all that other stuff. She just thought, oh, a living creature. Let's go have fun with this. You write about how it's not a sad book. Far from it. it there's moments where you weep like a baby. Sometimes you cry, though, out of joy. The duck scene is one for me. It's just a beautiful moment. April 7th, though, there's no way we can get around it. Talk about April 7th, 2017. Yeah. Well, that was the last day of her life. And, um, you know, slowly she had lost her ability to talk and then eventually to walk. Uh, walking, actually, she lost first. And, you know, that's what the IPG does. It just shuts down your brain connection to to all your functionality. And um, my wife and I got into bed with her. You know, Chica used to do this thing she called Cozy Fluffy Bed Camp which was she invented somehow, which meant you lived under the covers, basically, in bed. And she would call me down in my office when she and my wife were upstairs in bed, and I'd be downstairs writing, and she'd call, Mr. Mitch, do you want to come play cozy, fluffy bed camp? And I'd come up, and I'd get under the covers, and she'd say, now, here are the rules. I'm the number one boss. Miss Janine is the number two boss. You can be the number three boss. You know, okay, now we'll play. <laughs> so we, 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 know that, we knew that she loved that, and she loved having us on both sides of her. And so um, in the final hour of her life, uh, Janine got into one side of the bed and, and I got into the other. And I, I can't really tell you how heartbreaking that was, uh, but we held her and we told her how much she was loved and that it was okay and that she would see her real mother in, in, in heaven. And and uh, we counted down her you know, final breaths, which is only when you witness you know, the life go out of a precious little soul I think, can you ever really, really comprehend what an absolute, indescribable gift living really mm. is? And, and uh, you know, I, I tried to focus on that part of it and not the obvious heartbreak where we were sobbing and, and, and for all the reasons that you would imagine. And, and um, that was the day we said goodbye to her. And we, we uh, knew that we were going to bury her in Haiti. Uh, because that was appropriate. She used to say, America is my house, but Haiti is my home. Mm. And she deserved to go home. And uh, 
on her uh, tombstone um, is the is a line from a song that she used to sing, "I am a child of God," and uh, the, she used to sing that all the time. And I believe that that's true. She is a child of God. I think all children are children of God, which makes all of us family. Mm. And so we have an obligation to take care of one another. And you know, I say towards the end of the book, we didn't lose a child; we were given one. And I want that to be the message that comes loud and clear here. I, I didn't write this for sympathy or, you know, I don't want anybody to feel, oh, how sad you got cheated. No, we didn't. We, we None of us who knew she got cheated. She was seven years of pure joy. And, uh, and for the last two, she was all ours, you know, and that was a gift beyond explanation. Mitch, when I was just a couple years older than Chica was when you lost her. I was in a fire, lost my fingers to amputation, and always struggled with, would would anyone want to take the hands that I have left? Mm. Would anyone ever grab that? For me, at first, a girl, right? A girlfriend, maybe even a wife someday. Yeah. Now it's, as a dad, children, my own kids. Last night, came home from a business trip. I'm carrying this heavy suitcase up with my right arm, and my left arm is kind of dangling down at the side with a jacket kind of strapped over it. And then I feel this little hand grab my hand. And I look down, it's my blonde, blue-eyed, glasses-wearing girl named Grace. And she's got her daddy's hand as we walk up the steps together. And it just moved me, man. It always does. It stirs me. Wow. In your book, wow. you write about how Chica occasionally grabbed your hand. And when I read it, I just got emotional like I am right now with you. How did her grabbing your hand stir you? I tell her that in the book, as I'm talking to her, when I talk about my own father. And I, I, I tell her that I had a father too. She met him once before he died. And, and how safe I used to feel around him and how there was an incident once where we were, I was six years old and we were swimming and I swam away from him and kids like pretended to attack me. I don't think they were really going to hurt me, but they said, let's get them. And and I started, oh my God, you know, I had to swim back to my father and I swam faster than I could ever swim. And I, I, I finally grabbed his waist and I still, as I'm telling you this story, I can feel his waist in my arm because it was security. It was security. And I say to her, Chica, if I ever made you feel that way, then I'm glad, you know. And uh, I would like to tell you sometimes when you would reach out and just take my hand in yours how that felt, but there are no words for it. It's just all I can say is that everything I learned about being a father, most of it I learned from my father and the rest I learned from you. Mm. And uh, I learned that from her when she took my hand. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned physical contact because um, the biggest lesson I think that Chica taught me was in that realm as well. I, I used to have to carry her from place to place in the last month of her life because she couldn't walk anymore. I carried her to the bathroom, carried her to the kitchen, carried her to the bedroom, wherever. And we were sitting at the table coloring, which she loved. And I looked at my watch, realized I was late for work. And I popped up and said, well, Chica, I got to go. She said, no, Mr. Mitch, stay in color. I said, I can't, Chica, I got to go. And she said, no, stay. I said, Chica, this is my job. And she said, no, it's not. And she crossed her arms. She said, your job is carrying me. <laughs> and, you know, of course, I laughed like you're laughing. But then I realized, boy out of the mouth of babes, you know, uh, because of course my job was carrying her, all of our jobs carrying our children, you know, and uh, it was the most honorable job I've ever had. Mitch, when people get to the final page, shut the book, wipe their tears and get back into their life, how do you hope they're changed afterwards? <sighs> Only in that realizing that 
families can be made from a lot of different ingredients. You know, uh, I liken it to like a work of art. You know, sometimes you're using paint and sometimes you're using a piece of pipe, you know, and uh, but there are lots of ways. Kids don't have to look like you, come from you, sound like you. They don't have to come when you're in your 20s. And yet it's still a family and it's still something to celebrate. And there are children all over the world who need this kind of caring and this kind of help, not just in Haiti, but so many places. And if people are so inclined to help them or to do something like that, don't be afraid of it because it's the, it, it's, it's the greatest gift that you can imagine. My friends, the book comes out tomorrow. It's called Finding Chica, A Little Girl, An Earthquake, and the Making of a Family. The author is our guest and my friend, Mitch Album. The proceeds for this book stay with Mitch's orphanage. They're going to be used to make a difference so that others like Chica can have the joy that she possessed and that she shared. Mitch, I want to thank you, man, for loving her. Thank you, and John. And then for sharing that love with us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's my honor. My friends, that is Mitch Album. I am John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live Inspired.